Talking to people about dark matter and neutrinos can be funny. Surely you're joking. Hopefully, yes. What a wonderful universe. Welcome to Surely You're Joking. I'm your host, Dr. Kevin Peter Hickerson. Uh, with me for this episode is co-host Griff Pippin. Yay! And we have uh, one guest today, a special guy that I've known for a while. Uh, he's a... Uh, great intro. <laughs> he's a special okay. guy I've known for a long time. <laughs> I'm getting better at these <laughs> That's his credit. Time. That's just uh, how my mom refers Special guy. <laughs> you work for this. Uh, you run the Science and Entertainment Exchange, which yep. is how we came to meet. Uh, you're also, uh, I don't know what your position is, but you're at the National Academy of Science. Mm -hmm. I don't know what your position there is, but well, wait, let me introduce you yeah. first. I'm working on this. Don't talk. Yeah. I'm going to cut you off because you're a special yeah. guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> and also, you are the author of, one of the authors of uh, the comic Venus, and I think that's coming out soon. So, mm -hmm. a big welcome to Rick Lovard. Wow, thank you. Wow. We gotta get an iPod like sound effects. Oh, he, he adds those in. Don't worry. Yeah. It's gonna sound like a hundred people. But... <laughs> anyway, welcome to the show, uh, Rick. Um, Thanks. Great to be here. So why don't we just? I'm most excited about this. Let's just. We can talk about the national, uh, the uh, the science exchange uh, a little bit. But I want to sure. hear more about uh, Venus because you've been giving hints about this on Facebook, and I'm I'm really excited to to start to read it and just. Let us know what it is. Yeah, so uh, Venus is a, a grounded sci-fi comic uh, published by Boom. Uh, it hit the first uh, book hit stores December twenty third. Book two comes out January twenty seventh. It's a four book series, and it's basically about the first man colony on Venus. Um, and Venus is eight hundred and sixty degrees on an average day. The atmosphere is 90 times the Earth's in terms of pressure. It's kind of the worst armpit of the solar system. Well, Mercury. But, you know, it's pretty pretty bad. <laughs> I love it. Uh, like, it's still better than Mercury. For, for the <laughs> listeners that can't see um, the actual artwork here, a lot of explosions and a lot of action. It looks like a Michael Bay film Michael in Bay's here. Michael Bay is going to be picking yeah. this up. Looks like Michael <laughs> Bay drew this artwork. <laughs> and, and let's be honest, you are probably already hoping it'll be turned into a movie. Well, it was because I already know you work on movie, sci-fi movies, so... I, you know, I don't. I'm not a detective, but I can. Well, my background's in the entertainment industry. Before I started working at the exchange, I also wrote comic books, and before that, I was on TV shows, uh, and before that, I worked at a talent agency. So, like that, this was something that was originally conceived with uh, TV in mind. Uh, but I had, um, I had written uh, a book called Berserker before for Top Cow, and mm -hmm. a friend of mine who works at Boom got excited about it as a comic concept and I'm always into you know imagining ideas that I like in whatever format they can um, they can exist in and mm -hmm. I'm also and if that just happens to be a 150 million dollar blockbuster well it's just sure that's yeah. just the form of the art coming out I mean why not <laughs> why not um, but yeah I mean it's just it's fun actually I love comics as a, as a medium just because you get it, it moves very quickly, and you get you know character concepts, and you get uh, you know all everything around the 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 conceptualization of the world. You get so fast, and you get to sort of have input on every different aspect. Whereas like if you write if you write it as a feature, you kind of sell the feature, and then you're sort of done. 
mm-hmm. unless you're like the top, top, top writer in the world. And even as a TV showrunner, there are so many cooks in that kitchen that, you know, doing it as a comic actually is kind of a unique way of really having a lot of input over how it looks and what it's going to be. So that's mm-hmm. that's pretty awesome about the comic format. Uh, so, as you know, um, I worked on Thor, and you know that because yes. the Science Interchange Exchange had uh, had involvement in that. And one of the things I noticed what they did when I went and visited on set, they uh, they redrew the movie as a comp. I mean, they do the, the storyboarding phase, but yep. of course, since Marvel has access to a lot of comic book people, you know, like the best of the world, yep. like every seat of the whole movie was like drawn out in like a comic book. So it's like you go comic book, then screenplay. And then detailed comic book. <laughs> so, wait, I, you never really described to me what exactly you consulted scientifically and Thor. Like, what exactly did you do? Well, I had helped with the, the set decorating and then a little bit of the uh, details that they were... There were, there were like two stages. There was the stage that uh, Rick helped with in the script writing phase where mm-hmm. you got... Uh, did you find Sean Carroll, Sean Carroll, Jim Hartle, and Kevin Hand? So Kevin right. Hand's from uh, JPL Planetary Scientist. Uh, Jim Hartle's at uh, UC Santa Barbara, and Sean Carroll's right here at Caltech. Yep. Uh, so Kevin Hand will probably be on. Uh, hopefully, be on our show sometime. What's extra funny about him is his middle name is Peter. So it's so weird. Like I get messages. To, like people get me confused with him. Oh wow! For example, our previous guest <laughs> was uh, was Adam Steltzner. And he sent the message to Kevin Hand. Like, <laughs> it was like, he tagged me in a post or something. What did he say? Was he like? Well, he's like, I had this great podcast with Kevin Peter Hand. Because <laughs> I'm Kevin Peter Hickerson. Well, yeah, Peter Hickerson. Hickerson. <laughs> at least it was a compliment, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Oh, though, like, I hate that guy kind yeah, of thing? Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, that man, been, that was terrible. <laughs> no, then it would have been great if it was the other guy. That would have been perfect. So you consulted then on I'd Thor. Like, yeah, that guy sucks. <laughs> so you consulted on Thor. You're like, no, no, no. We should put the hammer over there. It looks better on that side. Basically. Trust me. You want to put it there, okay? Not there. <laughs> so uh, one of the characters, as you know, uh, was was a uh, particle physicist. And that was a suggestion that came from Sean Carroll, Carroll yeah. I think. Uh-huh. And so... Why don't you just, yeah, sure. So, <laughs> uh, so like six years ago, uh, when Thor was being concepted, basically uh, one of the producers who's gone on to produce the Avengers, and I don't know all his credits offhand, but Jeremy Latcham from uh, Marvel, mm-hmm. uh, gave us a call and brought us in, and we sat down with the entire creative team from Marvel, including the writers and uh, the executives and the you know art department. Everybody was sort of in that room. And uh, they sat down, with, oh, and Kenneth Branagh, the director, and they sat down across the table from Jim Hartle and uh, Sean Carroll and uh, Kevin Hand. And basically, it was a little, you know, science check meeting. And uh, the, the, the part of the piece of the conversation that got so, that became so impactful was the piece surrounding the Natalie Portman character, who had originally been a nurse in mm-hmm. the uh, in the comics. As Jane Foster. As Jane Foster, yeah. that's mm-hmm. right. And, um, you know, uh, it, it started with the idea of how could the, uh, Einstein, or the uh, what was it called? The Bifrost, the Bifrost Bridge. Yeah. In the original. Rainbow Bridge. The Rainbow Bridge. Bridge. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> From the original comics, how could that be something grounded in reality? And Sean Carroll suggested that it be a wormhole. 
Uh, but that name they didn't like. They thought mm-hmm. it was 290s. So mm-hmm. we, uh, he suggested Einstein Rosenbridge, which is another name for a wormhole. And basically, uh, the the conversation from there went to, well, okay, so now you've got this nurse character, and she's out in the middle of the desert, and. Um, what possible reason other than pure chance would she be out in the middle of the desert? And uh, you know, Sean said, well, if she were a theoretical physicist and she were studying wormholes, she'd have every reason to be at that location at that time where this wormhole was about to open up and drop Thor out of the sky. And so it was just this really cool example of um, how something, how a scientist's suggestion organically within a storyline uh, can both add a storyline and also add to a storyline and also add to, you know, overall plausibility Mm -hmm. and what was really cool about it is that when the second Thor movie came out uh, Disney called us and said you know we've got this really incredible female scientist character this female uh, theoretical physicist you know is there anything we can you know would like to work with you on doing something with this character and uh, we ended up being able to create a competition for girls across the country to engage with real-world scientists from based on that character as a launching point called the ultimate mentorship adventure and um you know that's something that really is an opportunity to like reach out through the screen and help um engage the end user which is kids and that's Mm -hmm. that's what you know that's where the magic of these you know these interactions of you going on to set and really going into the lab and being like okay well you know this is what we really use and this is what it looks like might get some kid wondering if it's real and then looking it up on Wikipedia or Google or whatever it may be and and getting interested. Mm-hmm. And that's sort for of... sure, I did as yeah. a kid, for sure. So, yeah. So that's sort of, sorry, long-winded, but... Oh, that's right. Uh, uh, do you, uh, you, did you get a lot of feedback from this this effort? The, the positive feedback. The ultimate mentorship adventure? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I mean, it, it, what was incredible about it, um, you know, this was sort of... Um, you know, we, this was not something that we planned, uh, uh, you know, with a, with a, we had a very short timeline to put it together. And so we were enormously impactful for 10 girls. Mm-hmm. And so those, uh, those girls who were the original mentees have remained a community, remained in touch with each other, remained in contact with their uh, mentors and have, uh, you know, really like those impacts have been huge. They're still, they still speak every month on the phone. A lot mm. of them have gone to college. Some of them have started um, um, programs for junior high schoolers where high school-aged girls mentor junior high school girls oh, the way awesome. they were mentored by you know female scientists in STEM fields. And so we've had a lot of impact for, for a few people. And so for us, the sort of next stage of what we're trying to put together is a way to scale that up and make it bigger. Okay, awesome. So I can answer your question now, where I came in. So, I when I when they came to me, uh, they said, "Okay, look, we need uh, this Jane Foster character to uh, somehow find these wormholes and find Thor's hammer and things like that." And so uh, I so I saw it as an opportunity to um, promote the part of science that I'm familiar with, which is uh, like particle physics, nuclear physics. And so to me, I said, well, let's see, how would, how would somebody find a wormhole that was, you know, not, nowhere near, because she was supposed to be from Harvard, because that's where, um, 
Natalie Portman's from. So she insisted right. that the character had to be from Harvard. I love so, that. Idea. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and they're like, that's not negotiable. I'm like, um, <laughs> <laughs> Harvard's a great school. So anyway, so in this, uh, uh, in this scenario. DVD version, she's from Caltech. Extended Blu-ray. So in this scenario, I thought, well, hey, this is one way you can find things anywhere is let's say she was looking for dark matter, which is a thing that people are really doing. There's lots of dark matter experiments out there. And it's something an astroparticle physicist would actually be doing. Normally you do it deep underground. So my scenario was, well, we don't know how to make wormholes. Uh, we, we know that they'd involve some exotic technology. So a sufficiently advanced uh, you know, group of people would, would possibly be able to do this. And one of the things that might be involved in this is sort of like uh, there would be a lot of dark matter radiation coming off it to be like sort of the, the waste material that yeah. um, would we normally you wouldn't notice, but if you're looking with a dark matter detector, you'd find it. And so I suggested to uh, the producers and Kenneth Brown, I was like, okay, so this is the scenario. She has this dark matter detector somewhere, maybe at Harvard, maybe whatever, but it was directional. So she could tell there was this, you know, this source coming from New Mexico, which if there really was like a huge amount of dark matter coming from there, we, that would grab someone's attention. So, hmm. so then she just, she picked up her dark matter detector. And, uh, and so that's one of the things they wanted me to do, design a dark matter detector that made, that was somehow portable, which is yeah. not normally a thing. But I said, <laughs> well, there's these liquid xenon detectors. So let's just say it's going to be a liquid xenon detector. And um, and so they're like, okay, great. So uh, I helped them build one of these. We used a, a rocket engine uh, fuel tank from the Apollo era. Oh wow! As part of the detector, um, and we also picked out all this stuff that a real lab would have. They had something like two million dollars worth of stuff on loan by the time they had it on set, and they had all the all these companies were sending in you know, oscilloscopes and power supplies. There were high, a lot of high voltage power supplies there, um, but they didn't want uh, uh, Natalie to get hurt. So they all, the company removed the high power part because they wanted the front to light up and look like it was on, but they didn't want it to be remotely possible that <laughs> like an actor could get hurt. And uh, so, so they had all this modified stuff and it was, you know, it was a. I, I went. I think I went through a lot of effort to make it semi believable for a thing that involves, uh, you know, a Norse god. <laughs> just, uh, well, it's amazing. I don't think most people know that they consult scientists and and the thought, because you go back maybe even fifteen years. I mean, <clears throat> it was just, well, the uh, the protons are coming out of the, fa and they would make scripts up that just like no one's gonna fact check this. Now they've got they're hiring you guys, and even, you know, I was, we always joke about this in, in comedy how Germans don't have a sense of humor, and and this happened to me in Germany. You'll tell a joke, and then they'll break it down. No, the logic doesn't follow that. Germans like they'll do that. Wow. Um, and Pat Oswalt has a whole joke about how he cracked jokes and to Germany, and then they'd be like. He's a hilarious bit because there's these giant pink tubes going throughout Berlin. He made a joke to his tour guide. Oh, those must be where they pump all the strudel into the houses. And they're like, no, actually, those are aqueducts that carry water. He's like, oh, my God. Every time you made a joke, this happened. And, you know, it's funny with these movies. There's going to be scientists or some somebody that's going to go, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't add up. That wouldn't work. And that's going to bother them the rest of the movie. Some people struggle to watch action movies now because they're going, okay, that's cool that Iron Man just saved the day, but Jesus, look at all the damage he did to those buildings. Who's, you know, <laughs> Superman, all those potholes, you know. And I think audiences, of mine was, 
Audiences are getting more savvy, right? Yeah, I think so. so. I mean, you know, I think when when Star Wars first hit the screens in the 70s, you know, people didn't you, they might have thought about spoilers, they might have thought about like whether or not the sci-fi made sense, whereas like Today, the new Star Wars movie, there were there were uh, there were blogs the minute after the movie premiered. Uh, you know the fifteen things that are you know don't work. problematic that don't work. And yeah, and I, I think that there are always people thinking that way. And everybody has a supercomputer in their pocket and the ability to you know fact check that in a way that they never did before. And so those I wonder questions, I think, when they do check out, I think audiences think they're cooler. And for that percentage of the audience that knows in the theater while watching it that it's not accurate, they're thinking that would never happen, which means that they're not engaging in your story and your characters in that moment, which is definitely a loss. So we're, we're fact checking fiction at this point, which is pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and it's it's funny because, you know, you let's say you did a remake of Goodwill Hunting, there's there's gonna be guys like Kevin sitting around going, No, that equation is incorrect and the answer doesn't add up. You know, you're gonna Thanks a lot, <laughs> Kevin. No, I'm guessing <laughs> they had actual get, Do you get that kind of resentment though? Are there people who say you're going too far but the the exchange, not you personally, but I mean, you know, are there people? Because sometimes people do do like what Griff just did, you know, just like, oh, you're ruining the movies by doing this, which I don't think is true. Because I don't think I, I personally feel like I'm yeah. completely okay with the fantasy side of it. Yeah. So, but how do you feel about uh, the exchange's role in general? I think you know, I think the exchange's role is to present the reality and you know, let reality inspire story and, you know, what the storyteller chooses to do with it from there. I, I understand that Hollywood, in my engagement with it, is not making documentaries. And so it's it's not vitally important that they get everything perfectly right. And But I'd rather have a storyteller come at it from the point of, I made a conscious choice there. I knew what the right... I knew what the reality was there. I know where the gray areas are, and I decided that this is what I wanted to do, as opposed to just sort of like, "Hey, I was winging it." <laughs> so. yeah, well, I think it, it adds a depth and a layer to movies now when they're more ground, they're more grounded in reality. Yeah, I think also people could probably relate to it because I think an intelligent person might watch these movies if they weren't actually researched and consulted by scientists, I think some guy might go, yeah, you didn't, you didn't, we're so used to it now, I think that if you don't do it, people are going to go, you didn't put any effort into that. You yeah. didn't consult scientists for this Thor 3. <laughs> Jesus, there's so, no way. But the, bringing that Thor 2, at least, actually is a good example. Like when Josh Wheaton came on, he did not put any science consulting in it, I think. Mm. Um, it didn't really need it, I guess. But I mean, why? Why did? Why does somebody like Josh say, "I'm not going to deal with these people"? Well, I, I, I you know, I mean, I can't and I'm not making you answer Josh for Josh. But yeah, what, I, no, what I, sorry, you're his screw that, Josh. Guy. <laughs> <laughs> but what I can, I mean, what I can say overall is that Marvel uh, has been one of the most engaged studios in trying to look to real world science as, um, you know, as a, a source of inspiration, both. I mean, we've done consults both on the TV shows and on the films, mm -hmm. and in both cases, they're very interested in, you know, is there any plausible reason or basis for how these characters can have these powers? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's something that, you know, sometimes the answer is no, but um, that doesn't mean that you can't sort of, you know, still engage the question, which mm -hmm. I think is pretty cool. Well, there's uh, some, sometimes there's... Uh, it actually gets scientists to really argue with each other. This was a huge deal with Interstellar, yeah. where there was lots of disagreement about the nature of black holes. And some of it was really right down to 
real research topics. Like a lot of the things were being found to be true or not true while that like date from data that was being taken at the time interstellar came out so as a scientist that's super exciting to have it i participate in these arguments and then the same thing happened with marsh the martian um in fact at the time the martian came out there was still believed there was no water on mars and then even when the movie was airing if that changed so a lot of this stuff is uh fluid and changes a lot i think yeah people arguing you know guys nerds arguing out there just like (laughs) uh no um i don't think the the story behind spider-man works because everyone knows that that species of spider is not venomous so that (laughs) doesn't work but you know, it's it's how it's Spider-Man's job to get that conversation started, and then it's that person's job to go out and figure that out. Well, I think you're going to start seeing more and more. It'll be the norm in these superhero backgrounds of how they got either bit or how they had their superpower. There's going to be, and correct me if I'm wrong, but um, there's going to be a lot of science backing that if there isn't already. I think it's a little bit. They keep it pretty fictional now, but I think they're probably going to try to back up how they get their superpowers. A little more? You know, I mean, I think if the real world can present an architecture for uh, how Spider-Man got his power, uh, then, uh, you know, that's something that every other storyteller who works in that franchise can then refer back to. And I think that um, that's something that's that's valuable to, to all these creatives, you know? Yeah, I think if you really got scientists to go, okay, if spider bites it and then like try to back it up, I think people can really really fix it on the spider. I I think people could really relate to it more and make it feel so much more real if they've backed up the science a little more about how that spider or what's another superhero that, what what is their story? Um, Not Superman, what about... Who's the story that had a freak accident? What about the um, Hulk? What was okay. they did? Didn't they have a lot of scientists? That's nuclear physics right there. Did they have nuclear physicists on site to back up how he turned into the Hulk? Uh, no, I don't think so. There were yeah. there was science consulting going into doing the the chalkboards and things like that. That's but, right. I mean the the uh, and and it really is a physics lecture. I mean I've, I've seen that scene. It's it's like an intro to physics lecture that he's taking. It's totally legit. But, I mean, this, a lot of the stuff is built into the story, so you can't uh, do anything other than just yeah. explain it. Um, but there's some more important spots in movies where I think it does um, educate the public in a way that's important. And one of them is that it causes... There's these, like, Hollywood myths, and I want to know... Uh, I'm not trying to get political here, but recently uh, there was um, data in a famous case uh, that was presented that involved uh, an enhanced video... Okay. That oh, was yeah. presented to the to the the, the jury, um, and what's frustrating to me is that I I know I've worked on some image manipulation, and I know that that one of the frustrating things it happens it's like happens so often that it's now like a cliche in movies so that like uh, filmmakers don't even know that it's not true because yeah. they just they've seen it in so many other works it's just assumed that that it would work that you can just magically enhance video and get extra information out. I, yeah, well, I think that, I think that is true. Setting expectations with uh, jurors, I know uh, uh, CSI. This is like a known thing that you know people are screaming, you know, on jurors. Well, why didn't you just get DNA in this case that would never, you know, actually, I'm sure DNA tests, tests are cheaper now than they used to be. But in general, the idea that like law enforcement would have the unlimited resources you see on that show sets a certain expectation in the real world, and. That's not to say that uh, CSI didn't have many, many positive effects in terms of getting kids into science, but it is, you know, 
I think you have to be a little bit cognizant of the impact you can have on on culture when you put these things into your stories, which, you know, I'm not saying they shouldn't be there, but I am saying that, uh, you know, to, to go in eyes wide open and know that you might you might actually impact the legal system if you um, if you set that expectation with the average person. You know that's a that's a powerful thing that, that you have to be aware of as you're. You can imagine it, an attack in space, and it's like, well, how come you didn't scream? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let me tell, <laughs> tell me more about Vitas. Sure. Um, who are these other guys? You did not. You did the writing, not the drawing. Right? That's right. Yeah, okay. uh, I'm. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this correctly. Hong Danlan, who I've only. Uh, she is uh, based in China, mm-hmm. so I've only uh, interacted with her over email. So I don't know if I got that name pronunciation correct. But she is a great artist. Um, so uh, so she did. She drew it, and um, I co-created the overall concept with Philip Sablik. Um, but I wrote all the scripts. And uh, the basic idea is that it's not too much of a spoiler to say that the, uh, you know, it's the first manned mission to Venus. They're going to set up the colony, basically, that has been pre-built by uh, robotic missions in advance for the colonists who will be there later. And the idea is that it's a 50 percent military, 50 percent private um, crew. Mm-hmm. And the captain, who is military, uh, on page one, is killed. And, and so the second in command, who is uh, from a private commercial sort of, she's sort of the, you know, uh, commercial airline pilot of her time, running uh, commercial flights to the moon and back, is now thrust into the captain's role, and she has to balance these two sort of groups that are at odds and. Every every decision she makes is going to be questioned, and this first four book arc is really mainly about her just trying to gain the respect of the crew. Okay, awesome. How do you deal with the obvious scientific difficulties of going to Venus? You named them already, so yep. I know you know about them. <laughs> so how do you how do you explain being on such a hot planet and having such high pressures? Well, okay, so you you may tell me that I'm I'm full of it, but uh, <laughs> I was. What that, got that's me? That's not something I do. Well, you never know. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> There's I a do. first time. I, I, do. I do that. Yeah. <laughs> so the the Earth is just over four billion years old, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was reading, I don't even remember where, that some way that at one point in their existence, Earth and Venus may have been full-on sister planets with liquid oceans of water and similar subtropical climates. Mm-hmm. And that the theory for how Venus changed in that event was basically runaway volcanic emissions mm-hmm. with a lot similar gases to what is causing climate change here on Earth. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for me, uh, the idea of climate change as Venus being a cautionary uh, tale for climate change on Earth was one of the things that got me interested. And the other thing that got me interested is, OK, well, if Earth and Venus were once kind of similar, then is there a way to reverse that, you know, in the same way that we may have to geoengineer this planet to combat what we're doing to it uh, with greenhouse gases here? Maybe in the future there will be technology that exists 
that could bring the temperature down on Venus. Oh, so they're like, they're already geoengineering by the time they get there. That's oh, right. that's awesome. That's right. That's so awesome. That's all sort of like... Oh, that's, did I just that's spoil like half No, no, no. Oh, that's, right. that's actually, that's also, that's also stuff just... that's in the, in, on page two, I think. Is oh, like, okay. It opens, it opens with the president uh, giving, you see the voiceover of the president giving their sort of launch speech as like uh-huh. their crash landing, basically. You know, hopes of dreams of Americans everywhere as the whole thing's going to hell. Basically. Spoiler alert. Alert. Um, I just read the end of it, and Trump terraforms Venus <laughs> and just builds a bunch of hotels. That's how it ends. Um, so yeah, so they, so they've they've brought down the temperature a bit. They haven't brought down they haven't brought it to Earth like temperatures, and they're also on the highest mountain peak, uh, Ishtartera, mm-hmm. uh, where pressure and temperature would be a little less intense. Mm-hmm. They've terraformed the planet slightly. But not enough to really make it, you know, completely Earth-like yet. So it's a pretty inhospitable place. And but I get to play with the idea that it's not quite, you know, right now on the surface of Venus it melts lead, and that would not be a, a terribly practical place to completely place the story. So we had to mm-hmm. change it a little bit. And wherever I can, I've I've, I've spoken basically from what I gather. Uh, this is this is something that doesn't break a natural law that you could potentially make this happen, but it involves technology that uh, is uh, would require a hugely massive effort on the part of humanity to make this happen. So it's kind of pricey. It's a little pricey. Yeah, but if we're doing it here on Earth, I mean, then probably you'd have extra. Yeah. You'd have the old <laughs> units. <laughs> like, like <laughs> well, ours, these, you know, we're not using these anymore because we upped the, the fossil fuel output. So now we... These are just junk. Just take it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they can do all of Venus. Send them to Venus. That's right. That's exactly right. It's <laughs> like you take the you take the little conversion unit that's the back of the, like, half a mile tall Hummers or something. Just that can... What would the temperature of Fahrenheit be on Venus in in real life? Real life, it's I think it's the average is about 860 degrees. Woo! Little, little more. Although... There is a place, and I, I should premise this by by saying, or preface this rather, by saying that I am not a scientist. I just, you know, I just spoke to a lot of scientists, <laughs> so it's it's very. It's not a scientist. I just stayed at yeah. Motel Six last night. <laughs> um, but basically, there is a place in the atmosphere of Venus where it actually has the same pressure of Earth and is roughly the temperature. It's just very, very high, high up. up. So. I've heard some uh, people proposing missions that we just send, like, a balloon. Mm-hmm. And some people even said, like, manned balloons might be a thing, which is kind of cool. Because then it's, then it's sort of like, you know, if we were going to land on Earth, you wouldn't say, no, we have to go to the bottom of the ocean. You know, like, it's just, no, you don't have to go to the bottom of the ocean. You can just put get a boat. Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> I, I, I hope it's low enough that they, like, get a view. Yeah, that's the one thing. <laughs> See, that'd be romantic. You do the highest point of Venus and propose to a girl there in a balloon. I mean, <laughs> if she says no, that's awkward. Right. <laughs> well, we're on Venus, so we've got a long ways to go. <laughs> it's going to be a long balloon ride home. Like an eight-week fight, eight fight on the way back. <laughs> <laughs> an eight-month fight. Yeah, probably, probably. Uh, another fun one is uh, is Saturn. The surface of Saturn is 1G right on the surface, and the pressure is the same as uh, as one atmosphere, right at the... No kidding. And the density is about the same as water, so you could actually float in a boat 
on Saturn. So that's a possible way we'd visit there, which would be pretty uh, Well, pretty it's nice. actually funny. Trump has actually opened up several water parks there, so... <laughs> You're going to milk that one. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. This is what Trump does. This is what Topical. Topical. Come on. So uh, can you talk about any movies that came out recently that you guys worked on? Um, um, I'm just thinking. TV uh, shows? I mean. You, we, you hooked me up with uh, the uh, Dominion, which was nice because they, uh, I don't know if that came from you or whatever, but. Um, we talked about a nuclear reactor melting down. That was, I was glad to participate in that because one of the things they wanted was to say the reactor is going to blow up. And yeah. I told them that a reactor cannot blow up the way that people seem to think it does. And this is like, this was really confusing to them. It was like, but we saw in Fukushima it blew up. I was like, well, no, that was an explosion from the gas, hydrogen gas. So I had to, I actually got them to change the words. The, they had to modify the reactor with actual warheads in order to make it plausible because they wanted it to blow up. What did it? What did it end up doing? Uh, well, it, it gets saved, of course, because that's okay. how TVs <laughs> TV what, shows work. But what might it have done? They wanted it to blow up Las Vegas. Ooh. So I said, okay, look, Vegas. this is this movie's uh, this show takes place in post uh, apocalypse. Um, there's been nuclear war, so that means there's there's spare warheads lying around everywhere. So sure, and the, they, this was supposed to be a modified reactor. So I said, um, okay, so the he took some like weapons grade plutonium and used it as like a neutron source to to kick the reactor. So I got him to say that line. It still really probably wouldn't be able to blow off, but it was a lot more reasonable because then it's like, well, at least it has the fuel that's needed to, to blow up. So awesome. what about other TV shows and stuff that you've been working on? We've worked on a bunch of the, the, the Netflix shows that uh, Marvel's doing. Um, we've worked on several of them. Um, that, see, my, my issue when it's like really close to the current uh, time you is don't that, want to spoil it. Well, there's right? that, but there's also like I we we signed a fair number of non-disclosure agreements, so it's hard for me to remember which ones we signed and which ones we didn't, and mm -hmm. what I can say and what I can't. For some of the um, like you know, Big Hero Six is one that we worked on relatively recently. Um, Age of Ultron, we worked on. Um, you know, we also get a lot of by design. The exchange works try to go really early in the development process. Like we want that writer who's like just had an idea and is just starting to like tease it out mm -hmm. to give a call, give someone like you a call and have that conversation so they never get to the point where, you know, Vegas is blowing up when it was implausible and they have to, you know, do all sorts of other stuff on, on, on mm -hmm. set. Yeah, if this you, one they were like, we're filming on Monday. <laughs> like, like this has to be plausible by Monday. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, and if you can lay that track really early, then you don't have to worry about those. Kind, I mean, those kinds of issues are so are so huge. There's only like so much you could have done, right? Uh huh. Yeah. So um, it was great having you, Rick. Thanks, Rick man. Lovered. The the book is Ven or the comic book is Venus. Uh, can where can people get it? Uh, you should be able to get it at any local comic book shop and if they don't have it stocked you should ask them why not oh okay yeah nerd right. melt or meltdown yeah meltdown would have it i think golden apple would probably have it those are sort of uh, uh my local shops but yeah just in general they should, they should okay have, awesome nice all right this has been surely joking thank you very much for joining us